Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two pawns. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, I named trading firms who are very involved. Um, Alec.eth is the ultimate puzzle. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So first up, we've got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. Next, we've got Robert, the crypto connoisseur and captain of Compound. Then we've got Garu- Tarun, the giga brain and grand poopah and gauntlet. I was about to call you Garun because it does rhyme. Uh, and then I'm received the head hype man at Dragonfly. I thought you were going to replace giga brain with Guru. That was like, well, I was like, whoa, that's like a funny change. I feel like that could be a good second act for you, actually. If you like retire from crypto and you just become like a yoga teacher, I feel like the... Um, the Giga Brain and, and, and Guru of, uh, you know, Kundalini. I think, I think that would work for you. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I, I got to read out the disclosures. Okay. We're early seeing investors in crypto. I want life. to caveat, nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see choppingblock.xyz for more disclosures. Robert, you are looking incredibly French today. What's you know, going on? What's, every what, time I wear a be? striped shirt, you know, people assume it's like a French look. So... Today's episode is dedicated to the future of France. Oh, amazing. Well, uh, I want to hear, speaking of France, well, these, uh, uh, both Tom and Tarun, Tom right now is in Europe, in Montenegro. Tarun is very recently in Montenegro, where I understand we alluded to this earlier, there is a, something, I don't know exactly what to call it, like a pop-up city. It's, it's an intentional experiment. community. Yeah, I'm, at, uh, I'm in Montenegro at this uh, thing called Zuzalu, Zuzalu, and I don't, I feel like I'm going to offend someone in any description, but I'll give my, my best shot. It's um, two months, different types of people who are trying to do research or, uh, I don't know, contribute in some way, get together and people give talks, people do workshops, people do sort of different things. And so they do different segments. There was like a crypto AI thing that Tarun was at. There was like, there was like a ZK research week, uh, this longevity week right now. So it's, it's sort of like maybe like, you know, Burning Man meets, um, like Ted talks meets, I don't know. I, I feel like that's, that was pretty cringy, but you know, it's, 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 it's all right. I would say introverts, Burning Man, like take Osho and sort of like, you know, like the 1980s, like intentional communities, they were more about like exercise, yoga, Orgies. This is much more in the uh, the vein of futurism, like biotech changes, like whether there exists longevity drugs, open source AI. So the AI week was actually focused on like you know if we have this huge movement towards you know centralized AI like OpenAI or Anthropic or Adapt or whatever, versus uh, you know the stable diffusions and and other open source uh, AI stuff, and so. There was there was a little there was like less of the hedonism of say I would say intentional communities historically like the 1980s 1990s 2000s were much more hedonistic this had like almost no hedonism like 
because there was longevity week, it was like, are you sure you just weren't invited to the orgies? I feel like that's a, a possibility you have to take seriously. But it could it could be true, but I highly recommend reading some some tweets from Ayala about her experience in uh, at Zuzlu, and I would say those kind of suggest uh, exactly what I'm saying, which is it it was perhaps an introvert's paradise, uh, a kind, kind of, of sexless. Not okay. Got it. I, I I didn't say that. She said that. Uh, but I once I got there after she said that I couldn't not observe that I guess, <laughs> which was very weird. But but I I will say it, the interesting thing is I think that it sort of reminded me a bit of uh, the the energy there was a little bit like what I think the earliest days of Bitcoiners in El Salvador was, and I think the Montenegrin people are very big ETH believers. Like I I got stuck in Podgorica, which was the capital for a day. And there are like ETH ATMs everywhere throughout the capital. So it's actually Whoa. interesting. It's kind of like the doppelganger. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Montenegro becomes like the doppelganger, the ETH El Salvador in, in like. Yeah, a of apparently years. Vitalik has a uh, honorary Montenegrin passport and there's sort of a movement um, with this new uh, PM to develop Montenegro into more of a sort of digital nomad new destination, maybe a, a charter city a location within Europe. Cool. Interesting. Which, okay. What, what is an actual, what is a day in a Montenegro pop-up city social experiment look like? Like you wake up, what do you actually do? Well, it's a little surreal too, because you're at this sort of private resort setup. So it's, it's very not representative of what I assume the average day is like, there's no real town. It's like a little food desert kind of thing. Um, but you know, there's a schedule. So there's people giving talks through most of the day. There's a workshop, there's people, doing exercise classes, people doing kind of breathwork stuff. There's a party tonight that I'm missing, but there's, you know, sort of stuff like that. And um, <laughs> you can run your own workshop. You can contribute to the, the schedule. You can do a cooking class, whatever. So it's sort of summer camp like uh, in that way too. That, that that's sort of the burning man in the daytime. It's burning man in the daytime type of. Okay. Vibes. That's a, that's a very uh, good way to put it actually. But that's with bathrooms, with real bathrooms, mm. not, not porta potties. Okay. Got it. Well, that's that a big like difference. Trust me, that is a that is a huge <laughs> change lifestyle wise. Tarun, I have to ask, uh, how uh, often do you go to Burning Man? Are you like a, a yearly or are you like on and off? Okay, I think okay. I went six times, but like, yeah, it's been it's been a while. I have I haven't Hasim, gone. How many times have you been? Zero. Zero. I have never been to Burning Man. I bet I bet Tom Zero. has gone. Yeah. <laughs> You've never been. I've never been. I, I don't. I don't really. You've never been. I don't really what? With the whole burner aesthetic. Yeah, I find it kind of cringy. Honestly, wow. not my scene. Sorry. Sorry to the burner. <laughs> I, I, I've been <laughs> twice. So right now, Robert, surely you were invited to like the French yeah, yeah, camp. I was. Okay, um, yes, right? yeah, Part of the future de France. Very nice. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, the thing is, the thing, the thing about Burning Man is it like became this like tech meme trope uh, in like 2015 or 16, and I don't think it was ever able to escape that. Yeah, it just like kind of lost this this like genuineness, and so I think I think I'll give this is all a lot of credit. It does seem to have there are a lot of people there who really believe in kind of crazy future endeavors in a way that I don't think you would have that many people saying that much crazy stuff in one place normally. Yeah, I'm poking fun at it, but it does sound genuinely really awesome, and I hope they I hope they continue doing like this because I feel like it is it's really valuable for the community to have these just like pockets of really concentrated cultural activity. You know, you kind of need those cauldrons, especially after COVID when 
everyone scrambled, everybody got super separated and everything was happening on Twitter. It's nice to have it in one place. Yeah, I yeah think, it's uh, just long. Yeah, but I think that's actually kind of nice. You can rotate out and it's a, it's, a, it's a fresh cast. I think, Trina, at some point you said, uh, you know, ETH Global Hackathons are responsible for the majority of the EF development roadmap. And I feel like this has a similar kind of vibe of, um, <laughs> you know, people, people not having structured time and therefore being more productive. Okay, so... There's some, uh, let's, let's start getting into some news this week. Um, it's been, it's been a relatively chill week, but it being crypto, there's always some weird thing to talk about. So the weird thing to talk about this week is Aragon. So for those of you who don't know, Aragon, super OG project. Aragon is basically like a DAO operating system is the way they describe it. They were very, very early in the formation of DAOs kind of before 2020 and all the kind of DAO mania kicked off. Um, so these are like super OG diehard believers. They did an ICO way back in the day. And they have this token called ANT, which has kind of been sitting around. Uh, it owns a big pile. It owns a big treasury of Bitcoin and Ether and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, today, that treasury is worth about 176 million. The token itself, ANT, which is supposed to give you a claim on the rights to the treasury and everything within it, because it's supposed to be a DAO, because kind of the point. That token on a fully diluted basis is only worth 150 million compared to the 176 that's in the treasury. So a lot of people have been very disappointed with Aragon. Aragon very famously has kind of been sitting on their hands, sort of waiting for the world to come around to their view of how DAOs ought to work. And uh, some people got frustrated, including some token holders, namely Arca. So Arca, they're like a fund, I don't know exactly where, I think they're like New York and LA or something. They basically started instigating publicly to ANT holders to say, hey, Aragon has not done a good job of sort of shipping what they were supposed to ship or really gaining market share or gaining product market fit. And they have a giant treasury. So we should just have them uh, transfer the treasury into DAO governance because apparently the treasury was managed off-chain. It was not managed by the DAO directly. Uh, they were like, look, Aragon should push the the treasury into full-on token governance so that the ANT token holders have control over that DAO. And uh, separately, they were, they were pushing for uh, buybacks to basically buy back the token using the treasury to essentially return value to token holders that they felt was, was not being well uh, spent by the treasury. So that's the, that's the backdrop. That's been happening all for a while. Uh, then a few days ago, Aragon published a statement saying that they are under attack. So what is this attack? This attack supposedly is that Arca, as well as a group called the RFV Raiders, uh, were basically trying to essentially act like corporate raiders um, and as activist token holders, effectively, trying to get the uh, ANT token holders to vote to basically do a complete buyback to essentially wind down the token and uh, unwind the treasury and give the treasury back to token holders, uh, essentially a liquidation, more or less, of the the, the treasury. And uh, ANT, the, or I guess the Aragon Foundation, which is some foundation set up somewhere in Liechtenstein or something, the Aragon Foundation was like, this is an attack. And because this is an attack, we are not going to listen to token governance because these attackers came into our Discord, they were saying things that were instigating... Uh, a, a, a ruckus. Uh, they banned them from the Discord. They said that we're not going to listen to the DAO on this because this is a malicious attack. Uh, or sorry, rather, we're not going to listen to token votes. Um, and instead, we are going to take the funds. Uh, we're not going to fully put them on chain because they had not fully transitioned on chain yet. Uh, we're not going to fully put them on chain because clearly we are not decentralized enough yet. Progressive decentralization has not fully completed its course. We still need to retain some security here. And um, we are going to start a grants program which we are going to transfer some funds to that. I, last I recall, it was like a few hundred thousand dollars 
which is a, a, you know, a very small amount of the treasury that they pre-committed to a grants program that's going to be administered on chain. So this has got the whole internet, or not the whole internet, the, the Our crypto little internet, corner of the internet. Um, our tiny little corner of the internet into a giant shouting match about what, what, uh, what is, what is a DAO? What is gov- decentralization mean? What does governance mean? What's the point of a treasury? What's your guys' take on the Aragon Raider drama? I'll start um, just by saying that, you know, Aragon was extremely early on the bandwagon of decentralized governance and tooling. Um, you know, they, they were writing frameworks and libraries and voting systems and all this stuff years before really there was much traction for DAOs in general. They came before, I think, a lot of the use case. And what's interesting is that, you know, since then, every community has sort of had to make up its own mind about what frameworks to use. Um, You know, MakerDAO was also an early pioneer of, you know, having their own, you know, approach that was not part of the Aragon stack when Compound was designing a governance system, we wrote one from the ground up, from scratch, having looked at Aragon, having looked at MakerDAO, having looked at other systems um, to say, oh, well, you know, we want something that isn't those things. And in the multiple years since, you know, we've seen a lot of other governance frameworks and tooling pop up. Snapshot has been incredibly popular for essentially off-chain voting using tokens. and governance has really come a long way. And one of the things I haven't really seen a lot of traction for at all is the Aragon stack. Um, I don't know of any major DeFi protocols or communities that are using them. I'm sure there are some. Curve is the, okay. num- Curve is the Curve number, is one number one user, one user. of Aragon. But I, I don't see it that frequently. Um, and so, you know, the thing that surprises me the most is that Aragon the itself, DAO, is relying so much on off-chain systems versus on-chain tooling. Like the craziest part of the story you just told is that all of the assets are existing in some traditional legal entity off-chain under the control of people that have nothing to do with on-chain governance. And so, you know, I think if there's any one action item for them to do, it's to sort of embrace and embody on-chain governance more than they currently do. So here's the crux of the question is like, is this an attack? Like, what, first of all, what does an attack mean in this context? Like somebody saying like, look, screw what you're doing. This is stupid. Take the, you know, take all the treasury out and give it back to token holders. Is that an attack or is that legitimate DAO governance? Yeah, I think um, to Robert's point, it is like, you have to appreciate the irony of like the, the RFV and Anarcha have done this to a few of their protocols. So like Rook, for example, they basically forced to, dissolve and, and return most of their treasury. Um, we have to appreciate some of the you know, irony in like this attacking happening to a DAO tooling company, um, not having a actual on-chain DAO. But I, th- I think maybe one point of clarification is that like it was actually Placeholder who, you know, almost a year ago, over a year ago, put together the proposal to um, migrate to a true on-chain DAO managed treasury. And it was passed and it was just like never implemented. So it wasn't like from the beginning, Arca was trying to force them to do that. It was the token holders legitimately wanted this over a year ago, and they just never responded. And of course, now that you know push comes a shove, um, they're sort of refusing to. And so um, I think in, in some respects, they're kind of acting in, in bad faith and that it was not that they're not turning over the treasury because um, of this attack, but they just weren't doing it in the first place and not really responding to token holders. Um, I, I, I do feel like it's pretty damning for them. I mean, I agree with a lot of what Robert said, like, 
they have kind of missed the boat on a lot of everything that's happened in DAOs and everything that's happening in crypto. And effectively, the market is saying that you've created, you know, negative $25 million in equity value. And I think at some point, you kind of have to look yourself in the mirror and think about what you are doing versus like continuing to sort of suckle on the teat of the DAO for a fat salary, which is kind of what they've been doing for the past however many years. So I don't know. I, I don't think you're, um, if you if you want to be a DAO and you want to be liable to um, token holders, then I think you have to commit to that. You can't just sort of um, LARP, at his, LARP as it and then, um, you know, try to get rid of it when it becomes inconvenient. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, in the similar vein, I don't, I don't definitely don't really consider it an attack. I think if you agree to community owned assets, like this is just, you know, you can reduce the likelihood or make it more expensive or change structure, but there's inevitably going to be some way because that's what it means to have, you know, distributed asset management to some extent. I think the weird thing about Aragon to me is, is sort of, there's sort of this, first mover disadvantage. So I think, you know, in 2017, late 2017, early 2018, you know, governance was almost a, a weaselly bad word, right? Like the only DAOs that existed were like, that had users were like Moloch and DX DAO, not to give people throwback nostalgia uh, and Aragon. And at that time, it was considered really bad to talk about governance. Why? Because of the DAO hack on Ethereum, everyone would just be like, oh, you're just doing that again. You're just doing that again. And Aragon, to their credit, in spite of all of that, like kept kind of trudging through. And and we could you could argue that like the only two people of the 2017 era who really their entire thing was based off governance that made it to 2020, you know, like the promised land of not crashing and burning, were Tezos and Aragon. Right. And who are really focused on governance as like a first class primitive. And and there's sort of this weird thing that Tezos did continue to do stuff. I mean, they had to as a layer one, like you whereas Aragon kind of didn't. You know, the the only time other than curve stuff that I've ever really interacted with Aragon is the thing that people kind of make fun of Aragon for, which was Aragon Court. So like instead of building like on-chain doubt, you know, moving their treasury on chain. They built this thing where you could vote on like penalties to particular DAO members and like have a court that a jury of peer DAO members who like vote on whether to slash you or take some of your assets. It's like, I don't know. The, the fact that they were like, not only did they miss the plot, but they went off this like very weird end was kind of a little bit odd to me. But it's also crazy because they did convince a lot of really big projects to use them in 2020 curve and i believe the earlier version of lido had some some elements and and like they 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 actually had reasonably okay tooling but then they just kind of went off this like the aragon court thing i think thing was very weird it, it, it like got rid of a lot of the on-chain niceties so yeah i i i, I agree it, negative equity value is negative equity value and i, I mean they're un, unclear if their tokens an equity or security i'm not not making any such judgment <laughs> negative token holder redeemable value let's say is negative yeah we need, that, we need a new word for whatever that is but there's definitely yeah, a concept yes. there that needs to be needs to be reified um, and, and and i think it's it's healthy for a market to do this when it's correcting right like reallocation of assets from things that aren't working to things that are that that is the inevitable the socially path word of capitalists right like yeah capitalism so like i don't understand yeah. how this wouldn't happen yeah, no, it's true. It's funny, you know, crypto 
in some way, like DAOs are at this weird intersection where crypto is both very kind of libertarian free market in one way, but then DAOs are also kind of like this sort of socialist co-op utopianism. Um, and Aragon is kind of sitting in this weird intersection of the two where the free marketness of crypto is like, Hey, there's a misallocation of resources. Let's like go fix it. And the token holders, like, you know, it's, it's up to their, they can decide like, Hey, we think it's not economically ideal for these assets to be sitting in the treasury. But then they have this sort of kumbaya, like, no, our mission is to advance the existence of DAOs. And so we're going to give out like, you know, $50,000 grants forever. And like, we'll just sit on this money until it eventually runs out. I feel like Aragon reminds me a lot of, um, you guys know the story of the Japanese holdouts after World War II? Like there was like some, there was like some general who was like stranded on some random island and they just kept thinking World War II was still on until like the fifties or something. And, um, and they just kept fighting like, cause they're just, they, they didn't know how to do anything other than fight. And I feel like that's Aragon. Aragon is like still stuck in like 2019. And the only thing they know how to do is like, just hold on to the money and wait until at some point everybody's going to use DAOs and like 2021 and like the DAO market came and went and nobody was, you know, okay. They had a couple of clients, but like mostly people were not using Aragon. They were using like the compound stack and they were using a bunch of other stuff. But uh, they're just still waiting. And these guys showing up and say, hey, guys, guess what? The war's over. Let's give the money back. Come on. And they're like, no, 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 no the, the DAOs, must, DAOs must succeed. Like, you don't understand. You're taking away the DAOs. And uh, I feel bad for them in a sense, but I, I, remember, I can't remember who it was I spoke to. Um, somebody who'd worked at Aragon. Oh, I, I actually remember who it is. Um, somebody told me they'd worked at Aragon for a little while. This was like 2019, I think, 2018, 2019. And they were telling me like Aragon had so much money and the attitude there was that basically, look, we have like 10 plus years of runway. We're basically just going to wait. We're going to wait until the world changes its mind about the Aragon stack. Uh, and until then, we're just going to like hang out and write blog posts. And it was a very depressing place to work for that reason, which, you know, if you're somebody who wants to like build something and do stuff like Aragon, just kind of where uh, nothing really happens. So it is, it is a really unhealthy place. And I think I can, I can see how you get defensive like this, where you're like, oh my God, token holders want us to give the money in the treasury back, which like, to be clear, giving the money, distributing the money in the treasury to token holders doesn't prevent you from continuing to proselytize about DAOs. Like you can do that, write blog posts all day long, you know, like this stuff is not that expensive to do. Yeah. I think you give them too much credit, um, in, in the sense of like being missionaries around DAOs, I think I'd, maybe in the beginning, sure. But at this point it's like, I'm sure a very cushy job. I mean, I was looking on chain, there's like millions of dollars in, in USDC flowing out of that treasury, you know, every month or so. And so it's like, yeah, it's a, to- a job with zero accountability. You can pay yourself whatever you want. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's, uh, uh, kind of gross. Okay. Honestly. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. I don't actually know Aragon people. Tom has the yeah. strongest opinions here. Yeah, <laughs> as, as much as it pains me to support Arca, uh, I got to back them up here. Um, if that, also, I mean, the, the, the fact is we're not even really debating um, if if the funds are being misappropriated or not. It's like, you know, the vote doesn't even matter. It's not even really a doubt. Like, it's it's very different than the Rook situation um, in that, you know, like the vote doesn't even really matter because it's not binding in any way. So the whole absur- situation is kind of absurd. Also, also, RFV stands for real fucking value. Is that right? No, risk-free value. 
the, the idea being if a treasury has a bunch of ether in it, risk-free to buy it for less. Real fucking value. I like this rebrand. I like this rebrand. Sorry, sir. I never I, – I, I read some article that was claiming it was that, and I was like, really? Like this is like weird for us. <laughs> That that is very, you know, it's like LFG, you know, it's like it's kind of adjacent. <laughs> <RFB. you>. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry, well, apologies okay. so, to the RFV people for for mis- misunderstanding your name. <laughs> they 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 have. I'm sure they're they're not their feelings are not easily hurt if yeah. they're doing this. Stuff. Speaking of 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 this recently, I was thinking about this also with the BTFP bank term funding program. Do you think they they intended to make it sound like BTFD? Like it's it's too close and too similar to no, be a I think I think that's a accidental homage. I, I don't think like I don't think they're like on like crypto Twitter <laughs> being like, you know what would really cause people like Tom to ask questions like about whether or not we made a meme? But BTFD. But B- BTFD is beyond crypto though. It is like uh, you know, it's like Wall Street Bets also writes that, so it 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 has surpassed. Crypto. I'm sure some staffer wrote it up, and you know, it's it's sort of like a subtle uh, uh, thing versus being intentional. Maybe I don't know. I think they literally take whatever words they want to use that like sort of make a maybe a word, and like that's a word. Like, do you guys remember tarp? Like, <laughs> that just sounded silly, yeah. you know, and it became the number one word. <laughs> That did not sound. I, I, I mean, well, I it's mean, sort of maybe, like maybe you put a tarp a over you, protect you from all the fallout. You know, I can see it. I, you know, to be honest, when the word tarp, um, it did give me this feeling of like shit's really bad, and you need <laughs> just something to protect you. Like all we got is this tarp, and then that's all that's going to keep you alive. I mean, it, and I was like, okay, that actually. Seems what, what about the uh, the COVID cares act? You know, yeah, all sorts of cute, no, cute things going on. Well, Congress, no, exactly. Congress, and no, the DOD. Totally wordcraft these things very deliberately. Yeah. Con- like whenever you see yeah. their programs, yes. it's always like, you yes. know, rocket, like, you know, read only, you know, comma, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but actually imagine, imagine if someone convinced the Fed officials to go to Zuzalu to become intentional about their naming. That would be hilarious. <laughs> Okay, I want to ask before we move off this topic. Before we move off this topic, I want to ask one more question. Um, so we we asked like, okay, is is what Aragon is doing cool? And the answer is no. Um, what about what real fucking value is doing? Uh, <laughs> do we feel that what RFV is doing is good for crypto, or is this bad for crypto? What's your guys feeling about? Well, this? I think it actually brings up a more important point, which is whether it's. DeFi or TradFi, it's Fi, it's finance, okay? And those people in RFE are just being the Carl icon of DeFi. Yes, it's a newer and smaller market, but the stuff they're doing, which is essentially just activist investing, is extremely old. And so they're just taking some like very basic principles and applying it to a small niche, newer market that really hasn't seen this stuff before. And, you know, I think it's just an inevitable consequence. You know, mm-hmm. obviously someone's going to be out there creating RFE, um, you know, because the ecosystem allows it. You know, I think it's far less shocking than the crypto native financial activity. I'll just use activity in a nice way. Like 
MEV and things that are far more profitable and far more directly taking money out of users' hands that couldn't really and don't really in the same way exist in other forms of finance, but only exist in on-chain finance. And so I don't think RFE is really unique or innate to DeFi. I think it's inevitable. And it's really just, you know, a generic economic activity. It's not new. Well, so here's the interesting thing, though, in my mind. is like, you know, for, for something, but what uh, uh, Aragon was doing in defending against this, defending against this attack, was that it, it's, it's kind of like the closest thing that they could do to a poison pill, right? So for those of you who don't know, a poison pill is basically a defense against a an activist investor that basically allows you to dilute the active invest, investor in a way that doesn't dilute everybody else. Um, so it's, it's, it's sort of like a, um, kind of like a defense mechanism against somebody taking over too much ownership that you don't want them to. So this, famously, this is what happened to uh, Elon Musk is that they sort of threatened to uh, do a poison pill. Uh, Twitter, Twitter was threatening to do a poison pill against him. Um, now, we don't have anything like that in DeFi, right? The closest thing we have is basically what Aragon did, which is basically, look, we, we won't listen to the DAO. That's effectively what Aragon decided to do. The, now, this is a case where the proposals that were being made were actually equitable to all token holders, right? So the proposal was, let's return the capital to everybody and everyone gets made equally. Um, in corporate governance, like in normal corporate governance, right, there are certain kinds of proposals that are just illegitimate. Like, for example, you, you can't you know, t- t- take over a company and then say, all of the money in the company goes only to me and to nobody else and then vote it you know, vote into, into passing uh, because it's not equitably treating all shareholders. Um, we don't have anything like that for tokens that can say, look, even if you have a majority of the token voting power, you say, look, everybody who votes, only people who vote on this proposal get all the money in the treasury. And then 30% vote against, 70% vote for it. Now 70% of people uh, raided the treasury and basically 30% of people got stiffed. Um, there's nothing in it, DAO governance intrinsically that stops that. So it does feel like if we're moving into this world, basically kind of, you know, activist investors, corporate raiders, whatever you want to call this, then we kind of need more robust mechanisms to prevent from basically inequitable outcomes. And, I, and looking at this, I'm like, okay, well, shit, we, we get, we, like the proposal I just described could very easily have gotten passed instead of the proposal that was actually put forward. Well, actually a similar proposal, if I remember correctly, was either proposed or succeeded or maybe occurred. Um, back during Fay and Rari and their merger, their unwind, someone who was pissed off said, "Like, oh, if you do this thing, I'll pay every voter in such a way." Um, I don't know if that wound up going through, but they basically tried to have this, you know, economic incentives for voting to build a majority. Um, you know, someone on Twitter might remember the details of how that went down, but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I think there was also obviously. The, the for Faye, the concern of like if hack victims should be considered debtors and you know potentially superior or uh, uh, senior to um, token holders in the event of liquidation, and there's some kerfuffle about that. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel you. Like um, obviously, that kind of proposal uh, would be pretty unpalatable, but would work. Uh, you know, if they actually did have on-chain governance, which again they they don't. So it's a little bit of a moot uh, 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 point, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, poison pills are obviously in many ways self-serving to the, the current board, right? Like they're not actually thinking about maximizing shareholder value. They're thinking about how, how, hey, how can I retain this current role and keep doing the thing that I'm currently doing 
which I think is kind of the mindset that Aragon has. Like, this is fundamentally about um, sort of, you know, correcting the market. They're like, people who get, you know, trying to ban short sellers. In my mind, this is spiritually similar. Like, they play an important role in pricing things correctly and allocating capital correctly. And right now, um, capital is being pretty grossly misallocated in uh, in the Aragon treasury. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm actually, I find this to be a very generically positive development. It has has nothing to do with Aragon in particular as much as just like, if crypto is going to be a real market that continues to grow, it's going to have to just overall improve allocative efficiency. There's like no, that's just like, the second law of thermodynamics of capitalism, right? Like either you die or you get better at allocated efficiency. That those, those are the two options. And like clearly that's not happening here. Um, I do think the interesting thing as a, a, a sort of ironic spin off Aragon is that there's a whole world of what I would call like what, DeFi should look like next. You know, right now we've like really focused. DeFi has spent the last couple of years focusing on trading and leverage in some fashion, but it hasn't spent much. And, and governance is the the bare minimum of the investment banking automation layer, right? Like like the compound governance stack or Aragon governance stack. But there's a whole other set of investment banking like things to do for protocols, like. How do you do M&A correctly? How do you do kind of these like dividending vote type of systems that in normal finance you can't do because you can't really discriminate between the different voters or different classes or different things like programmatically, like the type of thing Hazib is talking about. Basically impossible to do with stocks, with equities. But you could totally program that into governance. It's like five lines of code to do that. So like, I think like the the opportunity, with, I guess maybe future looking is that all of these investment banking functions can be protocolized for doing this type of stuff in a more efficient way. And I think that's what we're going to see over the next year or two. Very interesting. Well, I, I agree with you guys that this was, um, obviously the story's not over, but it's a very fascinating case study of kind of what happens when uh, governance stops being quite so Pollyanna-ish and we start we are coming up against the hard reality of how, um, how these projects are, are actually delivering value. So let's move on. One of the other big stories has been this, uh, I think almost everybody at this point is, is aware of the craziness going on on Bitcoin, uh, as well as the meme coin frenzy that's been going on uh, both on Bitcoin and Ethereum. But uh, a lot of it today is really focused on what's happening on Bitcoin because it's so rare for this to be happening on Bitcoin. So I think we, we alluded to a little bit before ordinals. And I think previously we were a little bit um, dismissive of what was happening in Ordinal's land. Well, it has grown to become an absolute force of nature. It's driven up Bitcoin fees by over 100x since it began, just to pull some stats. So the total value, so there are two things actually going on now on, on BTC. So one is Ordinal's, which are the, um, the, you know, the, the uh, inscriptions themselves that we talked about. But there's also this new thing, which is using the same um, kind of general protocol, uh, which is called BRC20s. And BRC20s are basically ERC20s on Bitcoin that are, you know, using the same mechanism of jumping onto uh, uh, taproot scripts to basically just encode, you know, ownership of, of a fungible token instead of non-fungible tokens, uh, which are ordinals themselves. So um, the total value of BTC ordinals and BRC20s uh, was basically approaching, as of May 8th, it was approaching uh, over $900 million dollars of total value, um, over 20,000 weekly actives on the biggest market, which is called Unisat. 
uh, volume spiked all the way up to 18 million, which was more than the volume on OpenSea. Um, now today it's down quite a bit. So it seems like volumes are coming down. Um, there's a lot of arguing now about what's happening on Bitcoin. So one, it's, it's massively increasing fees, which for people who are trying to use Bitcoin for ordinary stuff, their fees are now in the tens of dollars to interact with, with Bitcoin, just, you know, sending ordinary, uh, UTXO transactions. Um, but then the second thing is that there's a big debate now going on within the Bitcoin community. Is this good for Bitcoin? Is this bad for Bitcoin? Uh, this kind of makes Bitcoin more difficult to use for traditional payment use cases. Um, maybe this is good because this allows Bitcoin to become sustainable without fees. Um, or this is just a bunch of nonsense that's bloating the UTXO set and ultimately is, you know, kind of a giant time waster. You should put this crap on Ethereum. So Bitcoin maxis seem to be quite split on is ordinals good, is ordinals bad? Um, what have your guys' observations been on the meme coin frenzy going on on Bitcoin? The largest meme coin on Bitcoin is is a, a meme coin made by Zen, XEN, which has historically been a gas fee attractor, let's say, on other chains in that they build protocols that try to maximize gas usage uh, to generate fees. So it's it's not that surprising that the Zen community, the moment that they saw this, they like went in and put up a, a very gas inefficient on purpose protocol. Um, you might think that that's bad for a particular protocol, but the Zen community, like the Hex community, is this thing that people don't talk about, but is insane. If you ever go look at their Discord, you'll be like, "How are there this many people?" Wait, is Zen a rebrand of Hex? It's it's the Hex community fork, but if I call it a fork, the Hex Maxis <laughs> will be after me. So it's someone who started in the Hex community and shares some amount of code with the Hex code base and the Pulse Chain code base. The fact that I know this tells you I talked to Eric Wall. So you know, okay. it's like it's not like I I I really I, the Hex community, of course, is quite gross to me. To to steal Tom's earlier word, just more the the weird materialism of the. There's something kind of beautiful about Eric Wall being like the taproot ordinals guy and also the anti-hex guy. And then Zen being like the yeah. ordinals application. Like it, you it couldn't is. write a better I know, it's poetic. Story. It's it poetic. It was, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Wait, oh, I, 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 I totally, I do not understand. How can Zen run an application and collect fees on Bitcoin using? No, no, no. They write very gas inefficient code that emit has very high inflation or like has these like Ponzi scheme dynamics. And their entire thing is about writing code that costs a lot to use, which sounds very unintuitive. And it makes no sense. Their entire I, Ponzi I, scheme is... Wait, this Ponzi is on scheme, Ethereum or this is on Bitcoin? It started on Ethereum, but they are now on Bitcoin and they're the largest, they're the largest ordinal uh, it's X F. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact four letters. Is this is this this isn't Vampirex, is it? Like V M P. Yes, yes, that's yeah. it. Vampirex. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason it's all that, it, it, and that that's <laughs> the reason it's called that because the goal of this community is they tie their inflation of their token or number of mints to the transaction fees used. So the more transaction fees used, the higher their token emission. And it's like it, it obviously is unsustainable. They just keep moving from chain to chain to chain and. And, you know, it blows up, goes to the next chain. You know, just... What? Sorry, Haseeb. Haseeb, I'm really sorry. I see I see you rubbing your head and I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to hurt... Give you a headache. I'm having the, a really hard time understanding why you would do that. 
<laughs> but, okay. I, it's, it's not it's not rational but the hex community is not very rational they've all lost insane amounts of money and they have this still this like belief that it's all coming back if you need to see oh. the hex memes the hex memes are a way to to destroy your brain cells obviously it's incredibly wasteful that they're basically trying to say the more you waste the more tokens you get it's the same economic principle is if you just dig a bunch of holes or like break a bunch of glass windows it's good for the economy it's not you're actually like creating a deadweight loss and so they're going to long term be losers but what's interesting is actually a similar concept if i remember this correctly existed on ethereum way back in the day and it wasn't actually utilized so you know feel free to correct me if i'm getting this slightly off but this is what i remember there was the ability to make or mint ERC20 tokens with the sort of like mining like Coinbase where like as mine as blocks were made you could like program your ERC20 to um mint for whoever the miner was so one of the ideas about how tokens would be created was oh you could piggyback on the proof of work that was already existing on Ethereum not creating any additional work or any additional transaction costs but use it as a way of distributing the supply of a token across the miners of ethereum itself so basically like think of it like merge mining but with zero actual mining um so piggybacking and you could actually implement and this is like i don't know this must have been like 2016 2017 era uh, the ability to like mint tokens with each block mined to the miner and i don't think that ever took off no one like ever like launched a successful token that utilized this. I assume this code is like still there, maybe, or like got removed at some point. But this was an idea that was popular then and like was part of like the protocol that you could use. And like no one ever launched it. And if the hex community was around all the way back then, maybe they would have. They they are they are launching something very similar in Pulse Chain, which is their own. Tarun, how do you know all the like the the roadmap of all these? Tarun, Tarun doesn't tokens? sleep, and he's a member of four hundred and ninety discords. <laughs> I, I I I all I have to say is Eric Wall. I I, I you know bless his. We're gonna soul. need to get Eric he, on the show at some point. Actually, we should get him on the show. Actually, let, we should have him as a guest to talk about ordinals because he Definitely. is like the ultimate expert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, we'll, uh, I'm we'll just, get him on. I'm we'll just get him parroting on. what I learned. I'm parroting what I learned. So okay. we should actually just have him talk about Aren't, it. Didn't him and Udi launch something? Like some... They uh, are. They are. Okay, yeah. 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 Okay. It, think of... It's sort of... You could think of it as like the open sea... An open sea of ordinals, but like in a weird way for handling like these BRC20s and other things. All right. I feel like now is the moment for every kind of Bitcoin maxi to like do their NFT drop effectively like we need nick carter to drop something and then it'll just be uh, every everybody who's who's got a bunch of social cloud they haven't monetized yet now's your chance to do it in bitcoin land i mean the best thing is to read the bitcoin developer forum so that's the part i find more interesting and you just like read the two sides of like the like yes we're generating fees and the oh my God, like we need to censor these transactions and get rid of them. I know censor is a bad word, but censor. <laughs> and it's like hilarious to read these. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it is. It, it's in a way the kind of poetic justice within crypto that Bitcoin, which is the most stalwart, most sort of august and serious protocol that's like, no, we're about transferring large amounts of value very efficiently and it's like, oh shit, our chain is getting clogged up by like 
you know, random NFTs and meme coins. Um, and that's the only way that there are actually enough fees to um, be comparable to the block reward. And now, you know, there, Bitcoin is now convulsed with this face-to-face with the stupidity of what crypto people actually want to do, which is to speculate on meme coins. Um, yeah, it's, it's you know, <laughs> this is the world that we live in. Um, now, that, that said, like, the mania seems to be dying down. Um, although, you know, there are obviously false starts in the, in the history of NFTs, so it's possible that this might be a temporary lull. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the same thing has been happening on Ethereum. There's been a lot of meme coin activity on Ethereum. Uh, Pepe very famously has kind of blown through like a billion dollar plus market cap. Uh, now it's down quite a bit from the highs. What do you guys think is driving this? Seems kind of random. Seems like it sort of came out of nowhere. Maybe it's just like the NFT traders got bored and now it's time to play around with meme coins. I I heard that CZ invented Pepe. Um. Yeah, you heard it here that first. Is confirmed news. That you is heard, confirmed you, news. CZ did invent Pepe. That's right. We are um, a leader in breaking news that we heard from a guy. I um I did see uh it was you know Coinbase writes these like informational pages for assets that they list or I think assets that just exist. I don't think they've listed Pepe. And on the Pepe one, they like said, oh, it's you know affiliated with like the alt right and like the Proud Boys or whatever. And then Paul Gruel, that the um, CLO had to like issue a retraction and an apology, and he was like, "I saw, you know apologize to the Pepe community." <laughs> so we got, oh my god, we got that the facts wrong. That, that was the funniest tweet of the week by far. By by, by far, Coinbase the general counsel really won this week. Yeah, uh, yeah. Welcome back to crypto. Okay, well, yeah, it's been it's been weird. Well, I guess let's see what happens. Um, hopefully, we can get Eric on to kind of walk us through. The, uh, the circus that we're currently living in on Bitcoin land. Um, so other news. So uh, there's been obviously over the last few months, a lot of pressure on market making firms, uh, not just the fact that of course they lost a lot of money and just the market going down and exchanges blowing up and, and, and lenders uh, dying, but also uh, in many of the indictments that have been brought down or many of the uh, lawsuits that have been filed, there's been a lot of references to trading firms basically getting up to no good. So there was a report uh, by Bloomberg that both Jump, which is a large uh, crypto trading firm, as well as Jane Street, which is uh, also, you know, they make a lot of markets, obviously, broadly in equities and and, uh, other asset classes, but they're very active in crypto, that both of them are starting to pull back from their uh, crypto market-making activities in the U.S. They're citing regulatory uncertainty and increased scrutiny. Uh, There was also recently a class action lawsuit that was filed against Jump with respect to their involvement in the uh, alleged involvement in the Terra uh, depegging debacle. So it seems like a very tough time for market-making firms in the U.S., especially given the lack of clarity that we have domestically. In addition to that, we've also seen liquidity dry up and trading volumes also dry up uh, over the last three to four months. So it's, it's strange, although prices have done very well since the beginning of the year, Bitcoin is up like 60-something percent since the beginning of the year. Um, volumes are down a lot. And liquidity is down, you know, even more so. Um, so what, what do you guys think happens from here with respect to the trading firms? Well, just from a very simple laws of financial physics perspective, if they all go away, liquidity will be less and volatility will be higher. And I think it's hard to anticipate what impact that would have on the market as a whole. Um, it's possible that that's like what people innately want. They want 
volatility and they want things to be going up and down wildly and that's exciting. But on the other hand, like, you know, it's hard to predict. And so, you know, it could just be fundamentally bad for asset prices. Imagine if Bitcoin is just less liquid and more volatile. Like, but that was also like, you know, the days of yore when every day crypto would move 10%. Nowadays, it's like, it feels a lot less volatile. And I'm sure you could look at volatility over time and maybe it is starting to increase over the last couple of days. But, you know, I anticipate that like the average retail trader might want more vol. Yeah, I uh, I think we can see, you know, a lot of that. And I, I agree. I think um, I do have to imagine, I mean, some of the regulatory stuff is, is probably factoring in, but I suspect a lot of it, frankly, is just like there is much less, um, you know, uh, lend on the market right now, um, just in terms of overall liquidity. And so if you're a crypto market maker, it's like sourcing inventory is going to be harder. Volumes are down. There's probably going to be you know, less retail activity. So it's probably less profitable. And so I think, you know, by and large, it's probably more just like market driven than anything else versus, um, oh, you know, we're, we're scared of trading on Binance now. And so we're, we're refusing to do so. I, I, another thing is, I think this is not just true for crypto. I, if I remember correctly, like even U.S. equity volume is down. Like, you know, it's like everyone, like a lot of people just like went super risk off and whoever's left has been pushing the price up. But like, yeah, I guess because the, the, the bond market has been so wild, there's like been way more capital there. Um, like the, the yield curve is inverted and uninverted so many times this year, especially at the like short duration stuff, like over you, whatever, like government debt ceiling, every, you know, the 5 million things that have happened this year that the rates market seems to have taken a lot of liquidity from everywhere else. And that's like a macro thing that might is also somewhat independent of crypto. But I do think that, um, the regulatory pressure must be high because like all the people who removed were like also heavy on-chain traders and some of them have notable changes on-chain which i thought was that seems more regulatory related than other things that's yeah, my if guess. it was if it was like tower or some of these other groups i would think like okay maybe it's just not profitable anymore jump i feel like it must be it must be deep in their dna at this point that like crypto makes money so if they're backing off i i have to assume that it's more for regulatory reasons um, cause jump was active through the last bear market as well. Like they were, they've been, they've been very, very, um, kind of steadfast in their commitment to the industry. And I kind of feel like the, the biggest thing that I notice generally among whether it's trading firms, whether it's institutions, whether it's individuals, if you've made money from crypto and cash it out, you always come back. Like you, you just have this association with crypto that like, yeah, crypto is a good thing. And I like it and I want to be close to it and I never want to get too far. Even in a bear market, I want to like hang around the rim. Um, I think for Jump, my overwhelming sense is that it must be because of regulation, not because of they don't think that they can afford the, you know, that the, the profitability is not there right now. I, I think that they're willing to invest for the long run. I mean, they made so much money in the bull market. Yeah, I, I just like, I suspect it's more regulatory stuff. But the interesting thing is, the nice thing about the global open market of cryptos, there's always someone else who will show up. You know, like, I, I, I do think, I do think like, even if the biggest market makers leave, it's, there's going to be a new exchange somewhere else. And there's going to be market makers from that venue, that jurisdiction, that region of the world. And, uh, you know, it's probably, my suspicion is it's going to be somewhere in the Middle East or like related to that, but we'll see. 
I mean, right now, Binance is in the Middle East, so that they are and the, Coinbase and Coinbase, right? I mean, Coinbase, like Brian Armstrong went there this week, right, and get, did right. a whole like roadshow with all their officials. So, like, yeah, I, th- I mean, the UAE, sorry, and so like, I sort of, I wouldn't be surprised if like you see some like some you know, there's a ton of government incentives also to move there. So I wouldn't be surprised if like whoever is the takes over from the US firms retreating is like gonna just be based there and doesn't leave there ever. Yeah, it seems it seems plausible. And I can tell that, you know, the UAE is really serious about courting the crypto industry and they're putting a lot of energy and resources into it. It it feels like the sort of it's sort of the Singapore and Mina at this point, where they are they're not only do they have the capital and the capital markets, but also they have this just view on the space that is just very positive. Even in spite of FTX and all the other stuff that's been going on globally, uh, they believe in this stuff. It was, it's interesting. It, it's kind of adjacent, I feel like, to their interest in esports uh, and gaming. Is that they're like, I don't know if you guys know this, but like Saudi, particularly Saudi, UAE as well, but Saudi is like crazy, crazy big investor into gaming and esports. And they're like trying to buy up studios and convince them to move to Saudi to create like a sort of homegrown uh, game development ecosystem because uh, they're just massive on gaming. And I heard when, so when I was there, what I heard was that uh, Saudi, uh, which is it's not a big country, right? It's like a single digit millions or maybe two digit millions. Uh, maybe it's like 20 million people or something in Saudi. I, I forget exactly. But um, they have an extremely high penetration of like hardcore gamers, which I guess there's not a lot else to do in Saudi. I don't know, but there's people just like gaming a lot. Like it's really intense. It's like Japan or something. Um, so they're just, you know, the, the whole society is just very, very bullish on gaming becoming a huge thing. And crypto, I think for them feels very adjacent to that. Yeah. So I, I think like the U S market makers leaving is probably just, yeah. There's going to be so someone will take up that mantle. I, I don't. I don't have any doubt that it's not like oh, it disappeared forever. I think like if the U.S. government thinks that, then they don't understand the world dynamics. I, I think it probably disappears temporarily, but yeah, when volumes come back, yeah. I agree it comes back. Right, but right now volumes are low. Retail activation is relatively muted, other than meme coins. But I, I agree with you about the macro point. Once macro settles down, um, I think that demand and liquidity is going to come back. But you know, a lot of people are just putting their money into, you know, into into treasuries right now. So there's there's not quite as except, much willingness except, to gamble. Except Circle. Did you see that they're like, we're not buying any longer than one month uh, oh, treasuries yeah, because they're worried about the, the U.S. Ceiling. defaulting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, you see Tether made like $1.5 billion in profit in Q1, and they're they're rolling it into Bitcoin. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, Wait, it's on. they're rolling. Uh, they're Bitcoin? taking the interest income yeah. and yeah. buying Bitcoin with it. Wow. Wait, how are they starting that? Or they've been, they've been doing, doing that? that. I mean, they don't tell people what they're up to. <laughs> oh my god, that's um, wow. That's impressive. Okay, well, shit. Well, we are uh, we are up on time. Uh, next time, we'll, we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to get Eric on the next show so we can talk yeah. us through the Bitcoin mania. Um, yes. So, um, yeah. Yeah. You, you hit up Eric. Make sure you. Make I'm sure he hitting. Comes I'm messaging him right now. <laughs> okay. Perfect. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks, everybody. See y'all.